welcome to the NFL Roadshow. Lindsey Rhodes here on the Monday of Week 17 with 11 of the 14 playoff spots now spoken for and nine teams in the mix for the three that are still up for grabs. We've got the Jaguars and Titans fighting for the AFC South crown on Saturday for the four seed and a path that's opened up for the Jags to get in as the seven seed, even if they lose that game, though it's fairly convoluted and they need three teams ahead of them to lose. That seven seed in the AFC is a four-team race, by the way. We've got the Patriots, Dolphins, Steelers, and Jaguars in that order in the mix, which means if the Patriots win, they're in. If they don't, then the Dolphins have dibs, and so on down the line. As for the lone spot unclaimed in the NFC, it's a three-team race for the seven seed between the Packers, Seahawks, and Lions. So the Packers have priority there, meaning if they beat the Lions, they are in. If the Lions win, then it depends on what happens in the Seahawks-Rams game. So if the Seahawks win, then they get the berth. If the Rams win that game, then the Lions go. I know it's so convoluted. This is why I hate talking about scenarios. This is the only week of the year where I will bend that rule because it actually really, really matters. Um, I'm not going to get into the seeding stuff in terms of like who can get the one and who can get the two because that really is convoluted. But importantly, the Eagles did not wrap up the one this past week, again, for the second week in a row. So there are three teams that can get that at this point heading into week 18, and that's Philadelphia, San Francisco, and Dallas, which is still in the mix for that. The one-seed AFC scenarios kind of depend on what happens tonight, but by my count, there are only three games next week that have no bearing on the playoff picture at all. And my guess is that we'll see those in the early Sunday window, nicely buried <laughs> with a lot of games going on. That's Bucks, Falcons, Texans, Colts, and Panthers, Saints. As for the Sunday night game next week, this one is interesting to me. The league is going to announce that after the game tonight, but it's kind of complicated because if the Lions and Packers, so that's obviously the appealing game, right? Like there's a scenario where it is a win, win and you're in, lose and go home. That's what you want to be the last game of the week. But if Seattle has already played and they won that game, then there is a chance that the Lions-Packers game doesn't actually mean anything for Detroit because they will effectively have already been eliminated. And then Green Bay gets an easier path to the playoff spot if Detroit decides like, well, this one doesn't matter. And I get it. This feels very un-Detroit-like. Like if there's a team that's going to play to the end no matter what, it's probably a Dan Campbell coach team, especially since the other team that is affected is the Packers. Like I think the Lions are also incentivized to keep the Packers out of the postseason. But, you know, if they're actually out of it, then I think Seattle has an argument that it's not really fair that the Packers are playing somebody um, – in that situation that is totally disincentivized. Although, frankly, I suppose as I talk through this, um, the Packers could say the same thing about the Seahawks uh, who are facing the Rams, right? So if Seattle loses, then the Green Bay-Detroit game, as I mentioned, is super appealing because it's everything you want in that last game of the season. Winner goes to the playoffs, loser goes home. Um, I kind of think that the most fair thing to do is to have those three teams play at the same time. But again, I've kind of made every argument possible here in this conversation. I think that the other situation that you have to consider is Bengals-Ravens, which is going to be meaningful in some way either way. 
So if the Bengals lose tonight, then the game is for the division, which is attractive. And if it's for the division, then you probably get Lamar back, right? Like he's incentivized to get back on the field to play for the division and wrap up the higher seed, all that stuff. Um, if the Bengals win tonight against Buffalo, then there is a chance that the one seed will be at stake in that game. Worst case scenario, I think that they're still playing for some sort of seeding. So I don't know. It'll be interesting to see what the league does with that game. And let's not downplay the fact that it's the Lions, Packers, and Seahawks that we're talking about here as the teams that we are potentially most interested to watch in Week 18. The Seahawks, who most people thought were going to be in the mix for the the number one draft pick at the end of the year with a roster that we laughed about during the offseason that has been consistently above average this year. And I mean that in a good way, right? Like they've consistently, you can't say that about every team. They have consistently been among the better teams in the league. Not the best, but the better. They deserve a playoff spot. You could make that argument. And then you've got the Packers who lost seven of eight games at one point this season. I argued that we should probably turn to Jordan Love so they could get a read on him and make some franchise decisions in terms of uh, what to do moving forward. Turns out I was wrong about that. That's why I don't run a franchise, maybe. Anyway, and then there's the Lions, who last went to the postseason in 2016 and had the second pick in the draft last year. Just a crazy scenario to cap off a wild year, and I think that Cynthia Freeland's head is still spinning. My friend, who is going to join me in just a second, who you all know as NFL Media's analytics analyst, she is a lifelong Lions fan, who I think is still approaching this whole we-might-be-good thing from a defensive posture for self-preservation purposes, and I know a lot of you can relate to that. She's my guest today, and I'm hoping... Uh, that maybe we'll have a breakthrough moment for her in terms of her fandom because the roar is being restored. Let's break the huddle. Hello, let's go! Two on, two on, two. Ready? Hey. Cynthia, first of all, can we talk about your lions and the fact that they're still alive? And I think you're going to have to stop with the self-hatred. I think we're there. I think we're there. I think you can embrace this. I don't. Look, listen, we haven't won a playoff game in my life. Yeah. So, and they've been to the playoffs twice. So I'm just going to wait. I mean, 2010, like whatever, just going to be really patient. And I think one, all I need is one playoff game, just one. And then maybe I'll feel a little different about lights. I am looking at a signed Barry Sanders helmet though, because, um, it, when you're a Lions fan and you go to like, you know, you go to a charity auction thing, you can get those for like a big discount. And I have one. So I'm like, well, maybe this is now, maybe it's now worth something more, you know? I mean, you, you, you crunch the numbers. I mean, there's a lot, there's a lot of room for improvement still. I was just going through, I was trying to figure out Minnesota's rankings, right? Like, what are they actually good at? Because I I we, I we was having a conversation with my producer, Andrew, about like whether or not there had ever been a 12-win team that was as average as they are. He was like the Titans last year. I was like, I didn't even have to go back that far. But, you know, statistically, they're very mid. And in, in doing that research, a lot of um, bad Lions defensive stats pop up too, but. For sure. Well, if you look at the, actually the Titans last year made more sense than the Vikings this year, because here's the thing you have like football's all complimentary. We know that, right? So if you're really good at running the ball, like the Titans are year in and year out when Derrick Henry is there, then what you have is the ability to have play action and also the ability to confuse defenses a little bit. Now, 
You control the clock. That's what you do. You control the pace of the game. You control the clock. And if your defense can stop the pass, then those two things work together. Now, if you get in a big hole, it's going to be hard to get to mount a comeback, but at least the two things fit together. See, Minnesota, they're doing it in an improbable way where they're very good at passing the football. Justin Jefferson, Adam Thielen, KJ Osborne, but they're not so great at stopping the pass. Their secondary is not good. It's just not good. And it's a problem. And the problem is, is if you jump out to a big lead, well, what are teams going to do against you? They have to pass. They're forced to. So you're kind of reinforcing the thing. So now you got to make Justin Jefferson. And then that's how turnovers happen, right? You need to be able to run the freaking football. And the the problem is, is they haven't been as consistent running the football and their O-line. I mean, their center, Garrett Bradbury, has been out quite a bit. So it's, it's just, the meshing of the complementary aspect of the, it doesn't work well for them. Remember the, like the Cowboys in that 13 and three season where Zeke was just absolutely like on fire. It was because they were control Like the number of possessions in the game was like nine a piece because all yeah. the Cowboys were doing, were holding on to the football. So unless you could really get good at passing and they were good at stopping the pass. So it's, it's just how that, but Minnesota is doing it in a very improbable way. The second worst pass defense in the league. But if you look recently, it's like getting worse too. And sometimes you have to remember, like, when do things matter? They've been winning all of these single possession games. And so that means that they're probably, and, and I'm not being mean to them. I'm saying like, sometimes you can look like you have a bad passing defense because on some level, like either you can get a big lead and then you're just playing really soft coverages and like, great, you can catch a three yard pass. Awesome, right? Like it's not doing anything for me. But I would say in context, when things matter, it might even be a little worse because if you have to put the the contextual aspect around what's going on during those passes, like they're giving up monster completions at bad times, first down, like you know, when the game's on the line, but on first downs, like not at third and you know, third and two, and someone decides to pass and it okay. I mean, that's hard for any defense, but I'm talking like it's first and 15 after some sort of penalty and you know they're like letting some 32 yarder get completed so negative 19 point differential on the season you know what's funny though um and and they're bad in all the defensive categories 13th worst rush defense second worst pass defense second worst total d second worst scoring d like uh they're they're being carried by their passing offense um because they also have the fifth worst rush offense despite the fact that they have dalvin but what i think is interesting about uh, the pass defense, like you mentioned, when you look at the teams that are at the bottom of the league, there are a lot of playoff teams down there. So I think that that's interesting because we've got a, yeah, it's a passing league, right? Well, so you would think that the priority defensively in order to have success is the ability to defend the pass, but that seems to not necessarily be the case this season. The Titans are the worst at this. They're still in the mix, though, uh, albeit in a, in a bad division where somebody bad is going to get that playoff spot and then you've got the Vikings second worst and then the Lions are third worst and then Vegas we skipped them because they got eliminated and then Jacksonville and then Miami so five of the bottom six are all in the playoff hunt still that's right so there's a couple things one you have to add in what their offense is doing and two you also have to like I would say some of those like Kansas City has a pretty targetable passing defense as well, but yeah. it's like, you got to remember not all passes are created equal and completion percentage is kind of, it can be like, you know, if you, if someone, like I said, if you complete a three yard pass against someone like that's not, should that be counted the same as like giving up like a 15 yarder on a really crucial down? No, yeah. like it's not all created equal. And sometimes 
Like if you do get to these, you know, get up pretty big, like teams are going to pass on you more. You play softer coverages. Like Vegas is a confusing one because their secondary was not something that we were like excited about to begin with the season and whatever, but there are just a asterisk on an whole team, the whole thing. It's so confusing. Like the, it's a very, I mean, other than Josh Jacobs, who really did a good job of fighting, they didn't give him as an extension and, you know, they didn't sign him for whatever the the fifth year, they did not take it. So good for him. He'll just get paid sooner. But like, you know, there's a few good stories there, but other than that, it's like, this thing's kind of like a, what did we even watch yesterday? Like, I know. Okay. Jared Stidham. Sure. When there isn't consistency like that, um, what, what does that tell you about a team? I tend to, and this is going to be a leading question. I'm just going to tell you what I think. Yeah. To me, it points to coaching. Like when you can't, because it, it, it shows like, man, we've got the pieces. We can do it. Why aren't we doing it regularly? And the only thing that I can point to in that case is the ability to come up with a plan that's consistent to put the people in, in position to succeed. However, I will say you do get a, a bump, like a one game bump when you either get a new coach or a new, like, and quarterback in this case. (laughs) Yeah. Like, I mean, like you get like a, cause, because here's the thing, there's no tape on you. And by the way, it's the end of the season where everyone's exhausted. Like, you know, you're sitting there and you're like, what type of crap is that? Like, what are we dealing with? You know what I mean? Like, you know, like, what are you throwing out against us? Like, I'm, I'm kind of throwing out some of the statistical anomalies with the San Francisco defense there. I do think it, we saw that you can target them through the air a little bit more effectively. If you have, like, we, we saw some ways. If you have Devonte uh, Adams. <laughs> if you have Devonte Adams, turns out he's going to beat some corners. Hey, That's helpful. <laughs> but, but in reality, like, you know, look, like it's hard because there's so much nuance to coaching. And I'm thinking about Nathaniel Hackett here because I don't actually think he was given a real fair shake. Whereas like, like, look, Josh McDaniels, he comes from a really consistent environment. The Patriots are as like, I feel like you could like spin the calendar, point to a day and Bill Belichick could tell you what is expected of his coaches on that day, like in 2025, right? Like it, like, it's not a, it's, it's a system and it's a machine. It's a machine, right? Whereas like, you know, you're coming from the Raiders have been just a, a nightmare for a little while, right? Like their coach last year, I know they made it to the playoffs and, but you know, that was disruptive. They had a player get just horrible. Like that was a terrible situation with a player, right? Like they had a lot of their, their, someone was embezzling money. Like the whole thing was like a nightmare, right? So now you come in, it's not, it's not going to take one season to get better. It's going to take a, like, there's a bit of time that happens. So I'm not willing to say it's like any one specific thing, but I do think what they need to do is be super effing consistent. Meaning they need to say, we're going to prioritize, like they shouldn't like this wishy-washy stuff. Like, I'm glad, like, I guess if they were going to say, we don't want Derek Carr, like, let's just put it out there. Like, just be consistent. Like take a, you may not be right, but at least like, if you have a plan, stick to it until it's time to pivot. Don't be like, oh, well, the public sentiment thinks this is bad. Let's switch course. Like, no, no, have your plan, execute your plan. And we'll get, I think you have to give them a little bit of time. Like, it's not really fair. This whole season is weird. Whereas like, I do think it's a lot different because see the Raiders could have a completely different team next season pretty easily. I mean, it would be annoying, but like pretty but the the Broncos, they're they're locked into some to mischief over there. They're locked in. So mischief is a mischief. I, I don't know any other nicer way to say it. Like that's some confounding stuff. Who has confused your model the most this year? 
Hmm. I think probably, I mean, there's a few. Number one, um, I think ahead of the season, like the Seahawks, um, I would have thought that they would have been starting Drew Locke because it would be, it seems weird to trade for him and not go to him when you've had, you know, as you know, like, so per, like, and they've had, and by the way, they, you know, I really, their defense, I knew would improve as the season goes on because Pete Carroll's history, like shows you that the defense improves and so do his receivers, right? Like every, and they already had consistency at receiver. Like we knew Tyler Lockett was good. We knew DK Metcalf was a beast. Like you knew that. So, and you knew the receiving core with no fan, like that wasn't the problem. Right. And you knew like they were going to run. Okay. But I didn't have, I had drew lock starting. So with a totally different sort of game plan. And I didn't expect you know, to be so like resurgent with the deep pass specifically, but I don't know, like that one confused my model a little bit. And, um, and, and honestly, the Broncos being so bad, I did not, I thought they would finish third. I thought it would go chiefs, chargers, Broncos, Raiders. I did not foresee because in part, because that defense and I will still, I maintain their secondary is probably the best in the league. I mean, they were, they were allowing nine points per game and losing like that's ridiculous. So, you know, that one was bad. I mean, Russell Wilson, is he hurt? Like what's going on? Probably that. And then, you know, look, like we can never, we can never estimate injuries and whatever, but I had the Colts winning the, their division and they're terrible. So I, they confuse me too. So I, I would think those are probably my biggest like misses with that. So, but once the season started, did things like, cause the Seahawks are somebody that I feel like once you got a few games worth of sample size, they were pretty consistently that throughout the year. Um, like the Bucks and the Packers feel like teams that that were at least without me crunching any numbers were confounding my brain. Like I just didn't under. I mean, the Packers made more sense to me that they were struggling when they were struggling. But the but the Bucks, the Bucks were a team that all season long I was like, this makes no sense to me. And I kept waiting and I kept saying like, they're a team that I think is going to start clicking. And then right when apparently the key was that I just needed to abandon that thought process and then it would start working like in week 17. Of course, of course. You know, yeah. See, here's the thing ahead of the season. Like you knew that the AFC was significantly better, like top to bottom than the Mm -hmm. NFC. Like, yes, we all thought the AFC West was just going to be absolute nightmare. And then that hasn't panned out, but in general, that has held true. I mean, name the top five best quarterbacks by performance this league, this season. And like, maybe you got a Jalen hurts in there, but like, apart from that, like they're AFC quarterbacks, you know, it's your Patrick's, your Josh's, your Joe's like, you know, you like, it's, it's just a much harder, like if I'm a quarterback coming into the league, like, please put me on an NFC team. Like I would like to be an NFC times a million, even the NFC East where there's maybe like a lot of people going to the playoffs, right. There's three going to the playoffs, maybe even four going to the playoffs. Like I don't care. Like that's a, that's part of that's a scheduling situation. I'm saying top to bottom AFC is stacked with like nasty quarterbacks and even uh, Trevor Lawrence now coming up, like they're starting to get better too. Right. So at the end of the day, like that didn't like some of these nuanced things, like, yeah, you're right. Like the bucks, they're doing some weird stuff. It feels like it's like Leonard Fournette, Fournette and a cloud of dust, like every, and then like the same play over and over again, which is pretty like weird. Like it's a weird, it's a weird, <laughs> Like 
it, what is it? Definition of insanity, like doing the same thing over and over mm-hmm. again, like a different result. Like that's how it feels, but you're starting to see Tom Brady sort of take over. And we saw them like Evans kind of reform this week, which was good because they had not been on the same page. The routes that Mike Evans was running before were ones that we hadn't seen him really running last year. It's like, they were trying to make Mike Evans into sort of Gronk-esque, like not working. Like, and now they put Mike Evans back where, uh, whatever. So like you, you saw some weird stuff, but you're starting to see that sort of level out. Plus the NFC South is not good. So right. like, not it's a down down year for them. And, and then with the green Bay Packers, to me, we knew that their passing offense was going to take a minute because it was completely different, but their defense was, uh, you would think that they would I, ahead of the season. I was like their defense improved, but like you've got people playing way out of position. Like Darnell Savage, like really good coming out of college. Like, Where's he even playing now? Like he's not like, it's just strange. Like their safeties are in strange spots. Like they're really like, they're leaving their guys out on a friggin' Island, like, which isn't great. And Jair Alexander is awesome. But like you, at some point, like if there's four people to choose from, to throw to, and Ja can only be, he's only in one spot. Like what, like, what are, what are they doing? So I didn't like the way that their defense was playing. Now it seems they've gotten better, but like deep crossers are still a problem for them. And it's still going to, that could be a haunting factor come playoffs, but, and, and also the Niners, I was, I, who we didn't know who the quarterback, I mean, they didn't trick my model because the Niner, I didn't know, but right. <laughs> like you knew their defense was good, but you're like, what is this offense going to look like other than Debo Samuel? Well, and, and like you said, once they switched to Purdy and then honestly, once they switched to Jimmy, you kind of have an, have an idea of well, what that looks like. Right. Right. Yeah. Yeah. So they, they've been just throwing curveballs at us all year long. Yep. What, what do you make of Purdy and their ability to go on a playoff run with him? He's been so impressive, but then there's obviously the rookie quarterback factor. I think that what it shows you is that there's a really important element of, uh, where you go and your skill set have to align. Like, you know, sometimes we ask these first round quarterbacks to do impossible things like Trevor Lawrence last year with that coach, like it wasn't going to work out because that coach like is not known for his ability to develop quarterbacks. It's no surprise that with Doug Peterson, he's thriving. And remember, you know, Carson Wentz, I know this is crazy, but you and I talked about it when Carson Wentz was good. We talked, is he an MVP candidate? Remember saying that? Like we said that not that many years ago. What? Wild stuff. Right. And then we froze him in, in Minnesota when, when, but long story short, like <laughs> that was a terrible Super Bowl. I mean, it was really cold, um, but long story short, like, you know, you, you need to have someone who can develop the quarterback for what they're good at. And it really just get, like a lot of credit to Kyle Shanahan and that whole offense, by the way, really helps to have a strong O-line really helps to have such like epic run concepts that I mean, this is where Kyle Shanahan and that like their rushing offense leads to success because like play action's deadly because in college, the more you have, like, it's just like anyone else. Like if you're, you already have a resume of doing this, like add in a few new things and then put them into your, you know, your arsenal, and then you can keep growing it. But if you're like, if you're going to come out and ask like a Trevor Lawrence to come from a come from behind 30 point win, like when he's a rookie, like this is never going to happen. Right. Yeah. So Brock Purdy, yesterday he showed me something. That was some grit yesterday. He really, he's starting to understand it. But why on earth you'd give zone defense to, to George Kitt with George Kittle out there? Listen, you, you do what you want, but like, that's not going to work. <laughs> coaching again, <laughs> whatever. Speaking of coaching, uh, Steve Wilkes, what do Love. we think of that? Coming back, come back, hire him, give him the job. You know, the hardest part 
So like, I hope he gets a, a chance, a true chance to like, like, I want to know, like, look, David Tepper is a billionaire and you know why he's a billionaire? Because he understands his own risk profile and he acts accordingly, right? Like he's not a football person. He's a friggin', he's a hedge fund guy. Like this guy is a super, super smart. I mean, there is a business school named after him for goodness sake. So I don't know if he's like, if the way he's looking at this is, do I like, do I want to bring my GM and my coach in together and like start again? And cause they need to make the most crucial decision of all of football, which is what quarterback, what, like, what's our quarterback situation going to be. Right. So, yeah. and they've got an opportunity because the NFC South is down. So this is like a buy low sell. Like this is like exactly like a David Tepper moment. Right. So while it, I don't really even know if I think it has anything to do with Steve Wilkes, cause I know he likes Steve Wilkes. Like he brought him in, like he forced Matt rule basically to have Steve Wilkes on his staff, but I don't know if that's like, what does he want him? Is that, is that the splash? Cause remember Wilkes is known for defense. Like what, what are the, what are the, so I, I'm curious, you know, like, and then is, you know, is somebody you know, with that profile though, that you just described about David Tepper, do they care about the splash or are they just monitoring results and he's getting results? He's like, definitely just, getting results. It's crazy. I think what we've seen from the Panthers and it's, it's hard. People keep reminding me, like I get excited. I got excited about Mike White. I was like, Mike White, not, not, I'm not making arguments that Mike White should be the Jets next quarterback. I was just like, he's like, put him in. And what we see is fantasy production from everybody else, right? Like in the fantasy space, like he, he lifts everybody on that offense in ways that we haven't seen Zach Wilson do. That's my excitement about Mike White, not that he's a long-term franchise quarterback option. Um, and then we saw the opposite and kind of came back down to earth yesterday and he looked much more like Zach Wilson. And then I'm sitting there talking about, you know, Jared Stidham and he looks great. And Dan Halley on our fantasy show that we do on Sundays was like, Lindsay, stop it. Just like, let the sample size play out, you know? But of course, in some cases you don't have a, a sample size, like Jared Stidham's going to play for two games and that's going to be his sample size on which people are going to have to make off season decisions. Steve Wilkes, this sample size is so impressive though, because of what they've done since they fired Matt rule. Like Christian McCaffrey, they they shipped their best player out of town and then started winning games. They turned to their third quarterback, who I think should have been their first quarterback and made that argument all offseason. But, you know, and now and now it's working. And to your point about like the quarterbacks who are drafted high and the ones who aren't and the expectations being different. Now, what they're doing with Sam Darnold there, they're not having him do that much. So nobody is sitting here arguing Sam Darnold is like, oh, now we're going to put him in the same conversation with Patrick Mahomes because he's playing well there. That's not what I'm saying. That's not what I don't think anyone is saying or has ever said about Sam Darnold. It's that he needs to be put in specific situations. Don't ask him to do too much, and then he can be enough. And I think you're going to find that is true for a lot of quarterbacks around the league. Like Dak those Patrick Mahomes is, you know, they come. Dak Patrick, does, is he a good example of that? He's a perfect example of that. He was a what fifth round pick. I know he went to Mississippi state. He was not a first round pick for sure. Third, third round pick, whatever. He was not a first round pick. And when Dak was first in the league, that was when Zeke could run. And they had that epic O-line. So between the O-line and between the run game that he was, he first started, like he did not take more than 2% of his passes outside the numbers, which are much more difficult passes to complete. He didn't like for the first eight or nine games, he did no more than 2%, no more. So they weren't asking him to do complex and then they folded it in and then they folded it in and that, and that's how you got the development because 
Dak, the I remember there was like a Mississippi State game that he played in. I think he scored six touchdowns, like four were passing and two were running. Like it was this was he, it was a ridiculous game. Like it was like the, the score was like fifty-seven to fifty-four, something crazy. But when you're watching it, you're like, he hasn't seen the types of def- zone defense is basically not something many college quarterbacks see. That's why those two safety shells that we see for like the splits that you see initially for like a Josh or a, a Patrick or a Joe, they're, they don't, they can't, they don't know it yet. They've never seen it before. So if you're allowing someone to grow over time slowly, then now who cares if you give a two safety shell to Patrick Holmes, not the, not the trend anymore. He's, he has learned it. We, we all have, that's how we all grow. So I mean, but Dak is probably the, to me, like the best example of that because he got thrown, you know, sort of Brock Purdy situation, great O-line, epic run game, letting you can fold in the passes long and long. Sam Darnold was asked, remember he played for Todd Bowles back in, at the Jets. He was like the most sacked quarterback ever at that time. And <laughs> like coming out of USC, he hadn't seen any of that. Like, and you had a good old line when he when he was playing and he didn't have to face the type of I mean, first of all, the type of pressure you face in college is nowhere near the type of pressure you face in the NFL just for anyone. But he didn't have anywhere near that type of pressure. So anyone's going to have a hard time like with that. But if you have a defensive profile head coach, I, I just don't know. Going back to the Panthers, I don't know if that's the splash that Tepper wants to make or if he even cares about it or I don't know how he feels about it. But I do know that. Whatever, whatever happens from here, Steve Wilkes has put so much on like on film that he'll get a job somewhere. Like if, like if it was a, if there was a, like a head coaching job that was open where you already had the quarterback picked easy peasy, you know what I mean? Like, but there's a, such a, the cachet around who gets to choose the quarterback that it's hard to sometimes say, well, cause I know Scott Fitter, who's currently the GM, like, I don't know what they're strategy is for that. maybe it's going to stay just as it is and they've done enough but I thought that that yesterday was probably the the tipping point like if they would have won if Steve Wilkes would if the Panthers would have won yesterday I think he would have gotten the job but I'm not yeah. sure after that if and it wasn't really I mean that was still an epic game it's not like I mean <laughs> it was as close as they come right so it's like I don't know what do you make of the Chargers since we've talked about uh we being the larger NFL community has talked about a coaching change there potentially um, the, the fact that they are now in the postseason and getting some pieces back, uh, we haven't seen the offense necessarily clicking the way that I think we want, but you could make the argument like uh, yesterday was a pretty impressive game for them, obviously. And the fact that they were able to pick up a lot of yards actually on the ground, like using Austin Eckler as a running back, as opposed to throwing the ball to him and having your run game be effectively all a passing game. I thought that that was an interesting, um, uh, step forward, I think, for them heading into the postseason. Um, but I'm not sure that I've seen them operate as an offense. And, and it's hard It's hard to say this, I guess, because you have Mike Williams and Keenan Allen going in and out of the lineup, and you've got the O-line kind of rotating because of injuries. Um, but I haven't seen the offense look the way that I would like them to look, It, you know, which is effectively like Justin Herbert is a, a talented quarterback who should, the offense should look more like the Bengals or something like that, where you can just trust them to put up a ton of points. And I don't feel that way about the chargers yet. And to me, that's that one thing. Like if they go into the postseason and the offense starts clicking, now we're not having this conversation in the off season about the coach, but even if they win a game in the postseason, but the offense kind of looks like it's not holding up. It's into the bargain. Then I think you could have this conversation in the off season because Justin Herbert 
in my opinion, is such a special talent and he just has to start taking steps forward. I mean, look, I feel like every year we say the same couple of things about the, about the chargers. Number one on paper, their roster is stacked. Like if you look at the, the talent and you see, wow, like this is a good team. And then we're always like, yeah, but like, are we ever going to see them play together? Cause there's always 6 billion injuries and they do have a statistically more like they have more injuries than several other teams. Like it's like them and the Titans who are like, and the, and last year's Ravens, like they've just got a lot of injuries and they keep stacking up. And so like if, if Steve Wilkes, ready, we'll bring it right here. If the guy who does, cause the Panthers are the least injured team. So if this, if Steve Wilkes doesn't get hired, Andrew Altoff is the guy who the chargers should come after because he's like the best strength and conditioning guy that they're and their, their results have shown it. Right. So there we go. But at the end of the day, the chargers, we, and then, and the other thing, they can't stop the run on defense. And yeah. that's a really hard thing to, to navigate. So those three things, we, we have said those three things about the chargers. I feel like, you could like go find a clip of you and I talking three years ago, yeah. same two years ago, same last year, same like that. So it's, those are the kind of the same. It's like year in and year out. Like they can't, and they do a great Tom Telesco does a great job in the draft, but like, that's what, okay. And then what, like, yeah. why are we not seeing, I mean, and, and, and by the way, you have Justin Herbert on a rookie deal. I know. Not anymore. Like, not anymore. They're going to have, I mean, my guess is he's gonna he's gonna get paid this offseason. He has to. And uh so that that window closes to a degree, financially speaking. Yep. Are are the Chargers a team who who do you see in the playoffs that's not one of the top teams in the mix for like the one seed um in either division? Like an under the radar squad that is putting it together at the right time that you think is built to make a run. You know, I I guess I feel like as far as like under the radar goes, like the NFC, because I don't think the difference between like maybe the Niners are like, a, have started to separate themselves just a little bit because, you know, they're going to get Devo Samuel back and they've got that nasty defensive front and sure Devonte Adams, we sh- saw some things, but like, you know, it's going to be hard for teams to duplicate that because there's most of the other teams have quarterbacks that we've seen play before. So that, that being said, but like, look, like, the, at the end of the day, like apart from them, I don't know, like it's, it could like this weird thing could happen where like the giants could upset the Vikings and all of a sudden, like, so on the NFC feels, I don't even think that would be weird because of the Vikings, right? Like the Vikings are so volatile to me in this whole mix because they're, they're winning these close games in such fluky ways. Like we discussed earlier. I don't think that there's actually like, they haven't put on paper that they're actually a good team. They're just, and I know that a lot of football people would argue that if they find ways to win close games, that's like the definition of a good team. I don't know though, because when I go back and chart it, the other teams make nonsensical decisions about when to run or pass that. Like sometimes really? and you're like, if you would have just run the ball there, like early, like, and you're like, what the, what? Like, Anyways, so I don't know. It's unsustainable to win those one yes. single possession games. It's it's an unsustainable method. Like it it sure it happens, but and we see some streaks of it, but it is it is not sustainable. It is not sustainable. What do you see in the Eagles yesterday specifically? So uh, playing the Cowboys, that's a game that is gonna you know be a toss up anyway. 
without Jalen Hurts, it's that one's okay, that's fine. But then they go up, up against the Saints who get Lattimore back. And, you know, that is big for them on defense, but uh, it fell apart. And I kept thinking, I want to go back and watch this tape and see how much this has to do with Lane Johnson not being there. I look, there's two, two stabilizing forces that didn't work, meaning Lane Johnson. And then look like any switch at quarterback is going to take some time for the rest of people of the people to really react to, right? Like even the running back, right? Like you're like, well, this is Miles Sanders handed off, like Gainwell handed off, like, okay, but it doesn't always look the same and the calls are different. And like, you don't know what's like, I actually think that, I actually think that, see that my, my biggest question about the Eagles is like, cause they have this super team and like everything looks great. It's just that, you know, you, you lock down like an AJ Brown or you locked down or Jalen Hurts isn't there. Or you fit. It just feels like, like what, what's plan B? You know, it's like, they're going on plan A, but it's like, what's plan B. And we clearly saw that plan B with a backup quarterback, not, not as sustainable. Like, I think, like, I feel like, like if we don't have an NFC championship, like, I don't know how the seating is going to work out, but I really hope that it's Niners Eagles for the NFC championship, because if it's any other NFC team that makes it to the Super Bowl, it's just like AFC is going to roll them. Even if it's like the worst AFC team that happens to get lucky and win some games. Do you have thoughts about the scheduling for next week? And like what you specifically, especially as a Lions fan, perhaps, right? Because the schedule could affect that with the Lions and Packers playing one another and the Seahawks in the mix. Hold on, I'm pulling it up because they're playing the Rams. So, you know, I I, kind of feel like I and I saw some discussion on Twitter yesterday about this. I feel like all three of the or well, all three of those teams and both of those games, they need to be at the same time for it to be fair so that nobody can, you know, know something ahead of time and rest anybody. I hate that. I hate the like they better all be at the same. I mean, I think they will be because there's so many this year. There hasn't been as many. I mean. Like we talk, like the NFC has more, but like AFC is pretty locked up. Like there aren't as many, I guess the Jags and Titans, but like, maybe you guess, I don't know that like what's going on with the Titans quarterback situation. Like I get it. We, you, they rested Malik Willis. Okay. But like, like, look, like, you know, it's, it's an interesting, it's an interesting, um, it's an interesting setup. I do think it matters. And I think that they'll address it because I think fans will lose their mind. If not, (laughs) who are you the most confident in? Heading into the postseason, who's the most consistent or what do you think is the most predictive? I think the Chiefs are the ones who I feel the strongest about in terms of because they've had to. While I don't think that they're the best team from the standpoint of they have some weaknesses on defense, I think that their their adaptability, given their where their roster is in terms of health. Like you got to maximize for health and adaptability because the Bengals are actually really good at adapting to scenarios. Like their second half is always stronger than their first half, especially on defense, but they're just so injured. Like you got your best corner, not playing like their defensive ends keep going in and out of the game. Like, you know, Lyle Collins on offensive line is now, so they're, they've just reached the threshold where the injuries just push them down just a little bit. Um, but the chiefs have done such a good job of adapting and, you know, look, 
I, I like the bills are interesting too. My problem with the bills are the turnovers by the quarterback. And that's where to, the Monday night game between the Bengals and the bills will be so interesting because like I said, the Bengals are so good at adapting. If, if the bills, can take care of the ball, they'll win the Super Bowl. But unfortunately, we've seen Josh Allen try to push just a little bit too far. And when that happens, then things are dicey. And if you notice, the way that their O-line lines up, their tackles are like one full step out further than other teams because of Josh's rushing ability. So Josh Allen, with those outside the tackles, runs out, the tackle will slide in and out to give him a bit more of a lane, right? But that B-gap is bigger. So if they get a free rusher into the B gap, then that's when Josh has those nasty moments where you're like, oh my God, it's the Tennessee Titans at the goal line. What do you do? Like, that's where things get, get gnarly as a Bills fan when you're watching. And also there is something with the Bills defense, no Vaughn, you know, they've been Tredavious White took, was out for 10 games. He still doesn't look like the Tredavious White I'm used to. Micah Hyde gone They're like that safety duo was really giving them like, and Jordan Poyer has been on the injury report all season long. And I understand he's still playing, but I don't know if like like Micah and Jordan together, that was, that was it. That was the ish. And same with, you know, when you had Tredavious out wide. So it, I just think I'm a little worried about their injuries too. They've kind of reached that threshold of just a little too many injuries for how many turnovers we've seen that commit. Cynthia, this is it. One more week. And then we've got our 14 teams. I know. Can you believe it? I feel like it's, it's like, it's one of the, it's like they say about kids, how the days are, um, days are long, but the years are short. I feel that way about the NFL season. (laughs) All of a sudden you look back at week 18 and you're like, wow, that went fast, but it doesn't feel like it as it's happening uh, on a day-to-day basis. You're the best. Thank you so much for your time. Thank you so much for having me. I miss you, my friend. We have, you know, the good news about the end of the season is it does get us a little closer to having a cocktail together. Yay, cocktails. Let's do it. You know where to find Cynthia on NFL Network, NFL.com, and also on Twitter at C Freeland. That's F-R-E-L-U-N-D. Didn't talk to her about fantasy, and um, maybe that's because neither of us were in the championship in the league that she commissioners for me. Commissioners, is that a word? Anyway, she is the commissioner for a fantasy football league that, that we are both in. But man, what a week this was in the fantasy department, you guys. Justin Jefferson, I am assuming, will be on an incredibly high percentage of teams that finish second in their leagues. Writing a three-game streak of 30-plus points into a 2.5 point performance in the championship. Just crushing. I'd also venture to guess that the top scorers of the week are on more benches than in starting lineups. Mike Evans, for instance, who hadn't scored a touchdown since week four, just exploded in week 17 for three scores and 200 plus yards and 48.7 fantasy points, while his quarterback, who had only topped 20 points one time this year, also finished the week atop his position, QB1, Tom Brady, 37 fantasy points. What are we doing? QB2 in this championship week, Daniel Jones, followed by Jarrett Stidham. Like, what is going on here? By the way, he looked good. Also, DeAndre Swift, 
with the big 27-point game coming off a 3.5-point game. Jamal Williams also with a very big week, as I did predict on Friday's Fantasy 15 show. Thought the Lions would run a lot, and they sure did. Also expressed on that podcast a few concerns that I had about Justin Fields, who had an insane first quarter on the ground, but then leveled off after that on his way to a 16-point fantasy performance. He was QB 14 on the week prior to Monday night, actually, so it'll probably end up lower than that once you factor in Josh Allen and Joe Burrow if that game goes anywhere close to the way that we are expecting it to. Anyway, it was a weird week, but I hope it still worked out for you. And if it didn't, I hope you hedged in the right spots. And by the way, if you're going into tonight needing a big number from someone, I'm just saying you could hedge with a prop bet and win either way. That's going to do it for us today. Back again on Wednesday with Danny Kelly of The Ringer. I'm excited to talk to him and have him on the show. If you're not a subscriber already, hit that subscribe button now to make sure you get that episode in your inbox as soon as it's released. In the meantime, big thanks to Andrew Emmer, our producer. Thanks to you for listening. Thanks to Cynthia for her time. And Happy New Year to you all. The NFL Roadshow is part of the SiriusXM Sports Podcast Network. Serious XM Podcasts.